So continuing on, God's kindness and long-suffering was extended more under the covenant of grace. Those under the old were held accountable to the truth they had. And as we've said before, the Jews considered Sodom and Gomorrah an example, a great example, or uh, one of the worst, of God visiting fire on the wicked as a demonstration of eternal life, what's going to happen to the wicked. And he burnt them all up. And yet when Jesus went around the cities and towns that he preached in, most of them rejected him, the leaders and so forth. Of course, the common people often, they came, but he told them, he said, woe to you. It means a curse upon you, a terrible end. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah will do better at the day of judgment than you will. And he said, if I had preached what I'm preaching in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented a long time ago. But see, God had them on a different covenant. He was not required to extend extra grace. They got justice. And so Nineveh, he said that they repented. So God's grace was extended through Jesus and mercy. But judgment will follow. More mercy and grace is given, more punishment. That's justice. So he warned them that all the cities and towns, when God judged them, they will get a worse punishment than Sodom and Gomorrah got. Well, we know what Sodom and he's talking about eternal punishment, everlasting punishment. And that will be measured out at judgment day for those people. Look at Hebrews 10.29. How much more or worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy of who tramples the Son of God underfoot and counts the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, that word is saved and redeemed, a common thing, and he insults the Spirit of grace. He's talking about a backslider. A person who's once really known the Lord and then goes back to the world, or the worldly way of living, he's giving you a rhetorical scripture. What kind of punishment do you think he's going to get? The backslider will get a greater punishment than the normal sinner. He'll answer for more because he resisted more grace. He trampled Christ's blood twice. Uh-huh. So he warns. So Christians that will not serve the Lord and become lukewarm and carnal, a sinner on the street will be punished less in the day of judgment. See, that's holiness and justice that he measures out. One more scripture, Second Peter chapter 2, 20 and 21. We've been there many times. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge, this means relationship, they got saved, regenerated, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled in them and overcome, that means they're backslidden, they've gone back to the world and its sin and pleasures. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Okay, what the beginning? For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned from the holy commandment. Well, if he ain't talking about backsliders, I don't know who he's talking about. So when people talk about once saved, always saved, 
I don't know where they get that from because Peter didn't believe that. And he warned those, you fall away and you're a true Christian, you're going to be punished greatly. Holiness and justice are going to come into play. Uh huh. Every idle word that the wicked man speaks, he will give an account for. So if he crucifies Christ afresh, judgment, all the previous sins that will come back because he's not in Christ anymore. He's not covered. He's not walking in the Lord. His name has been blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. It was once in there, okay? So we see that. He was saved, then he was lost. You know, people don't want to hear that, but that's where most of the professing Christian, where they stand. Verse 2.18, we're back in Timothy. These men have gone astray from the truth. It seemed like these two people he's talking about, that he's turned over to the devil, they were once Christians. They may have been sound, but somewhere along the line, they began to pervert scripture and teach it for fame or money or whatever. But he implies they strayed from the truth. Well, how can you stray from something if you don't have it? How can you be cut off from the vine if you weren't a part of the vine? See, people don't use common sense. They don't bear fruit. They must have bore fruit for a while or they wouldn't have been put in. But then after God's long-suffering and patience, they were going back to the world, living like the world. And many of them still going to churches and believing things, but their life denied him. And he said, he said, my father will cut them off and their end is to be burned. They're talking about people who knew the Lord, not people who professed the Lord only. They knew the Lord. Uh-huh. And then they fell away. And Paul said in the end time, he said, some shall depart from the faith. He's talking about real Christians. He ain't talking about denominational professing Christians who've gone into their cult or other religions or mixed thing. He's talking about a true Christian will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So this is what was happening to these two men. They were slowly, and they were teaching still Christians. And what did they teach? Okay. They were saying the rapture or the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So some Christians believe that. They don't know sound doctrine. They didn't check things out. And so they were fooled. And all of a sudden, their faith crumbled. And some of them, because they were so unstable and did not get grounded in the word like the word warns us, they gave up on Christianity. They left Christianity because they thought they had been left behind. And they figured we might as well live for the world. We've been left behind. And see, the false teachers did that to unstable Christians who would not get grounded. See, we're told to get grounded, that the storm's coming. A lot of people, they get saved, and all they talk about is the joy and how they feel. But the storm's coming. And Jesus said, you better be prepared. So the new Christian is to study the word, get grounded, and be ready for warfare, because it's coming. And they don't do that. Jesus talked about the soils. He says, some received the word with joy. 
He said, but when trial and tribulation came, they fell away for they had no root in them. They didn't let them take root. They didn't get grounded in the word of God, which was able to keep them. And so when it came, they were not able to stand. Uh So he warned that was going to happen. He said, they received the word of God with joy. They felt they were saved. They were right with God. They had peace with him. And they stayed there, and they didn't do nothing else. And he said, and they endured until tribulation and troubles come. And then they fell away because they were not prepared, and they didn't prepare themselves. And that's what happens to people. Go to Second Peter again, 2.15. We'll talk about the word astray, going astray, falling away. Okay. And they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the ways of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Oh, he's an enigma. Many believe he was a false prophet or a soothsayer. He got into this later. But when he was dealing with God, and even the king said, I've sent you to curse these people, these Israelites. Well, God was blessing them. He wasn't going to do it. And he said, and he should have listened to his first word, Balaam said, I cannot go beyond the word of Jehovah my God. He used the covenant name. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob didn't know that name. It was revealed through Moses. But it seems like Balaam knew it. He was a Gentile prophet. Everything he said, the king says, that you bless is blessed, and whatever you curse is cursed. And he wanted to, at this time, he become greedy and covetous. And he wanted to curse Israel so he could get money, power. And that's why the Lord had the jackass speak to him and scared him. And he was such a hurry to get his money and reward. And then the Lord opened his eyes and saw that the jackass was in between two rocks or so, and she wouldn't go forward. He kept beating her. And the, he was so gotten into his frenzy, uh, I think it's really laughable. All of a sudden, the jackass speaks to him and says, have I ever disobeyed you before? And the fool answers. I mean, instead of being amazed that the jackass is speaking, he, he's so angry. He said, if I had a sword, he said, I'd kill you. And then the Lord opened his eyes. He was a prophet. Prophets at times had visions and dreams. And there stood the angel of the Lord, which of the old covenant was Christ, was God. What no other angel. And he was there with a sword. And Balaam knew what that meant. And he bowed down on the ground. And then he submits to the Lord out of fear. Well, I won't go and I'll go home. And God said, no, you go. But you'll speak what I tell you. When he saw that sword, he knew if he tried to give a false prophecy, God had struck him dead. And God punished him because he wasn't repentant. And the king Balak was so upset with him. He said, I've given you this. He said, I've called you to curse them and you've blessed them. He said, didn't I tell you? I can only speak what the Lord gives. He's still seeing that sword. See, he wasn't forced to speak it, but out of fear he was because he knew God was displeased with him. And not too long after when Joshua and them were taking certain tribes 
and destroying them as God commanded, it made a point of saying when they entered a certain area, they said they killed Balaam with the sword. See, he was still unrepentant. But it implies that as a Gentile and a Gentile prophet, he knew the Lord at one time. He calls him by the covenant name. He said, I can't go beyond the word of Jehovah my God. Well, like I say, Abraham didn't know that name. And the covenants began with him. So he fell. He went astray because he got greedy and he wanted money. He got caught up in the world again. And we see that everywhere with all these faith and prosperity ministries. They're nothing but materialism and greed. And that's what's the basic. And those medicines are going to go straight to hell and those who follow them. Uh huh. They're tied up in the world of materialism. Yes, a branch can be cut off, and the branch could have been real, and it could have bore fruit at times, but it did not abide. So getting saved is wonderful. Starting the race is wonderful, but that doesn't mean it's guaranteed. You have to continue. Jesus said, if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. The end of a person's life, God will be with him, if he's with God, he will not allow the Christian be tempted more than he's able to bear, but make a way to escape. But if the Christian plays with the f flesh and sins and persists, that scripture don't apply. It won't help him. If he doesn't stay in the spirit and in the Lord, he will fall away and the demons will deceive him. See, people don't want to rightly handle this word. They'll claim that scripture. And people, they'll talk to God sometimes, Christians, and ask God to forgive them, which we're supposed to do when we fail. And it says, purify your hearts. Well, you can't purify your heart while you're still in sin. So these people are just giving God lip service. They're not repenting. He says, that's wonderful you confess your sin. But the proverb says, he that confesses and forsakes his sin shall find mercy. See? But a lot of people confess their sins and they keep doing them. And we're talking about gross sins here. The sins are not forgiven because they're not repentant. They've not turned about to follow the Lord anymore and get his help in the problems and things that happen in their life. Mm -hmm. So people who once knew the Lord Many of them don't now, and there'll be more of a falling away of the few that remain. We're going to enter in and are the time of Noah and Lot, which really were not many people saved. Remember over and over again, I tell you, Noah preached for 120 years and got no converts, and he was a righteous preacher of holiness. He was the friend of God. His family got in because of him. It didn't say they found grace with God. But they had to live a certain standard if they're going to stay with Noah or he'd have thrown them out. And God kept them so he could keep the human race going. But he didn't get no outsiders. We don't have any report. And Lot, he was the only righteous one. And it says the living of those people vexed his righteous soul. And his wife's heart was in the city and she didn't want to leave. So when she disobeyed the angel, she was struck dead. And the daughters obeyed their father. And all those cultures, many times the grown kids, 
even if they disagreed, they obeyed and submitted. And they were engaged or in a process of being married, but they chose to go with their father. And that's what saved them. But he was the only righteous one. He was the only righteous one. And so if it's going to be as the time of Noah and Lot, we need to wake up. We're not expecting any great revivals and moves of God because it's not going to happen, okay? Verse 19. Nevertheless, he's going back to the first verse. Some of these simple Christians and those that didn't get grounded or didn't seek uh, wisdom from the true teachers and stuff, then they fell away. They thought they had been left. Uh-huh. But the nevertheless that decides all of this, he says, there's a firm foundation. Well, God's word is, and it stands. It says it has this proof. That's what the seal was. Uh-huh. The Lord knows who are his. Uh-huh. See, people may not know it. Backsliders don't know it. Sometimes Christians, when they fall into sin, they lose that witness. But a person that walks with the Lord and stays in the Spirit, it says his Spirit of God will bear witness. Some of these preachers preach, well, nobody knows who's going to all to be saved. Well, if you don't know that, Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. He didn't bank it on a guessing, but the Spirit only bears witness to those in godliness and obeying the Lord. Most of our walk is by faith. We accept that until our conscience of the Lord corrects us one way or the other. And that's what we should do. We walk by faith and not by sight and feelings. So sometimes the witness is not a feeling. It's the Spirit knowing something. But once you get into sin and problems, that can go. Because it means something's unstable here. Let not think that that person shall receive anything in the Lord that's double-minded and worldly, who professes to be a Christian, okay? And then he says, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. People don't put those two scriptures together. God knows who's his, and his are not practicing wickedness. They're not lukewarm and worldly and carnal and living a wicked life claiming to be a Christian. Because he says, uh, if they don't part from wickedness, he knows they're not his, okay? That's fruit-bearing. That's spiritual works. That's obedience. And as Jesus said, why call me Lord if you don't obey me? It means I'm not your Lord. But many, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. He's saying, you didn't obey me. You obeyed the world, the flesh, and the devil, but you gave me some lip service. But I don't recognize it, okay? That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. So he bears witness with those who are his. The Lord knows who is his, okay? God's promises. And only the ones that name the name of the Lord, they prove by godliness and spiritual works and obeying the Lord that they belong to him. No practicing gross sinner is saved anymore if that's his lifestyle. Now, a Christian can fall into any sin, and he's to repent and get right. And if you look at one of the churches, Jesus said, repent quickly, 
lest I take your light from you. So he ain't bearing with a Christian for years while they're hoping they'll repent. Scripture in many cases says swift destruction. What is the swift destruction? God cuts them off of the vine and they're no longer in him. That's the swift destruction because they won't confess, repent, and get right with the Lord when they've done something really bad. Okay. So Paul in Galatians 5, as repeated earlier, I didn't get into him, he named 17 gross sins, and then at the end he said, and the such like. So he ain't missing anything. Any sin that's not mentioned. Oh, you can find many that are not mentioned. They were so gross, they played the normal human, didn't sin that way. He didn't say cannibalism, child molestation. Well, they're worse than most of any of those sins he named. But he didn't mention those. But as such like means, you understand, they were so perverted to even the common people. That was the problem of the men that sinned in Corinthians, First Corinthians. He was having an affair with his father's second wife or concubine. And even Paul, when he reproved the church, he said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. He said, even the heathen don't do that. <laughs> he said, you should have put that person out, that wicked person. And the person didn't come back when he was punished. But Paul considered him wicked and lost. And I think it's funny, he said, even the, the wicked don't do that. They, they're ashamed to live that way. <laughs> so he was making it very plain. Uh-huh. So those who practice and make a habit of gross sin, and they're named, and the conscience knows them. They will not, they cannot, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's eternal life with God in Christ. So if one does not inherit God's heaven, they get the lake of fire. That's a very assumption there. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Ephesians real quickly. Ephesians 5, 5 and 6. For you know this. Actually, the translation is, know this. You already know this. No fornicator, unclean person, that covers many things. Greedy, covetous person, that could be prosperity people, who is an idolater. God calls over prosperity and greed, he calls that idolatry, the worship of money, okay? He says, and you know they have no inheritance, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, people stop there. They need to read this further. It'll excite them a little bit. Let no one lie to you, deceive you with empty words, useless. For because of these sins he's talking about, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And he's talking to Christians now. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So he's saying, if you live that way, you're going to get the wrath of God because he considers you're not his anymore. Uh -huh. And then you cannot inherit king. And the reason you cannot inherit the king because you're not a Christian anymore. He makes it very plain. People want to split hairs. How far can I go and still be a Christian? Well, you're already in a bad situation. What can I do in the world and still live a Christian? You revealed a wicked heart. And God won't give it uh, anything like that. He knows who's his and who's not. And he knows when they cross the line. And most of them don't know it. They think they're still in the grace and they've been cut off because he don't fool with certain things. Uh -huh. 
the wrath of God will come upon them who do those things. And he was talking to Christians. And he said, don't let one lie to you and say you can live those sins because you're covered by grace. And God's grace covers it all. And I'm always, once saved, always saved. I mean, well, that's people lying to you and telling you lies. He said, but if you live that way, you'll not get to heaven because you're not a Christian anymore. Oh, that disturbs people. I used to counsel on the phone 30 years ago. I have several people some hang up on me because they want to convince me, well, I'm saved, once saved, always saved. I said, you're lost on the way to hell. I said, well, you just told me you've been having an affair for three years. I think that's called practicing making a hand. It ain't like you fell into a sin and you're trying to get up and get out of it and taking your punishment and confessing and repenting. You've lived this way for three years. You're not a Christian. You may have never been, but you aren't now. Oh, they hang up. They want to get a counselor to tell them they're eternal secure. And some of them got that <laughs> to their own destruction. Now, this scripture here has been misapplied many times. But we'll read it first. 20. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Well, the some to dishonor, the wood and earthware, are not Christians. People like to think they're Christians. But you read the whole context here. He's not, he's even an example of just a large house. But then he's going to show you something as he teaches. If you're a vessel of dishonor, you're not sanctified. That word means you're not redeemed and set apart for God. There's a difference, and people don't know it. There's a difference. There is the church spiritual, and only Christians that live right and follow the Lord and are not in gross sin are part of the spiritual church. But then there's the earthly Christendom, and the majority of these people, the world sees. And the majority of them are not saved. Uh -huh. God only has the seal on those that are his. And many profess him and name him, but they don't walk in the spirit. They don't follow him, so he don't recognize. But the world considers them Christians because they have all these beliefs and traditions. That's called Christendom. That's the wheat and the tares that you see in the world. But in the true church, you don't have that, okay? The true church, the gates of hell will not prevail against. They are following the Lord. And Christendom, the majority of people naming the name of the Lord, they never knew him or they've fallen away and they're not serving him anymore. Their actions prove what they believe, okay? So the vessels of wood and pottery are in the world. Man sees these things and people. The true Christian, God sees. He knows who is his. A lot of people don't of the world. And the majority of the so-called two billion Christians of the world, they don't know God. He'll say, I never knew you. They are of Christendom. The world sees that form. The earthly, but it's not the genuine. It's not real. And Israel was the same way. God saved a remnant, but he said as a whole, they were lost. 
Jesus said all the Jewish leaders as a whole and the priests, he said, your father's the devil. Well, you know why they wanted to kill him. They felt that they upheld the law. They represented Judaism, and they did a bad case. And Jesus said, your father's the devil. But they had religion. He didn't doubt that. And he says, you'll murder me. He told him the truth. So the tares and the hypocrites and the professing Christian, that's Christendom. But that's not the true church. The Lord knows who is his. Okay? It's the earth church, not the spiritual church. Okay? And that's why John, in Revelations, he was a little marveled. When certain things were happening, he marveled. What did he marvel at? That the vast numbers of the world claimed to be Christians. And he saw what they were. See, in his time, if you were a Christian, and they believed there was only probably a few hundred thousand or so in the Roman Empire, and that's 50, 60, 70 years after Christ's death. A Christian was not popular. He was looked on as being worse than a slave. They didn't like him because he didn't believe in their gods. So he knew a true Christian was not in favor and was often persecuted. And then he looked at the world, the Jezebel spirit, and saw all these people claiming to be Christians who were wicked, who were wicked. Well, see, that happened when Constantine won a great battle. He said he saw some cross in the sky, and it convinced him, because his mother, I think, was a Christian. So as the emperor, he commanded everybody in the Roman Empire to accept Christianity. Isn't that wonderful? All those millions of people overnight became Christians. But you know what they became? And that's how much of the Roman Catholic Church came about. They accepted it. Seventy years before, they could have been put to death for being a Christian. Now they could be put to death for not professing to be a Christian. Isn't that strange? But none of them changed their lifestyle. They mixed Christianity like Catholicism did with the Babylonian cults and false religions. So they didn't give up anything. They just said, well, we'll give lip service because however the emperor was, and much of that was in the 15th century, whatever your king or queen was, you had to be that religion. And if you weren't, you were persecuted. They had the right to tell you what you were to believe and what's proper. And so the emperor said, everybody, you're a Christian now. Confess Jesus. But there was no change because they didn't repent. They didn't give up their other gods. And that's why John wondered. He was so shocked that that many people could claim to be Christians. Isn't that fascinating? Uh-huh. So they believed. And the ones Jesus talked to at judgment, the many, they say, Lord, Lord. They believe certain doctrines. They believe Jesus resurrected, that he is the Son of God. Many of them believe that. Catholics believe that. Liberal Protestants as a whole believe that. Uh -huh. But they don't live right. He called them lawless. You don't obey me. You aren't led of my spirit. You're just giving lip service, and there's no reality. And that's why James says, oh, you believe in one God? Because he's talking about people in the Roman Empire. That was a dangerous thing to believe. 
You even had to believe the emperor was a god. He said, well, you do well if you believe in one god. He said, the devils believe in tremble. They know who he is. They believe everything that Jesus, that we believe and understand. They know he's going to cast them into the lake of fire at their judgment. They're terrorized of it coming. So they believe these mental things. They believe Jesus is Lord, but he's not their Lord. But one day they will bow as they're cast into hell. They will submit to the judgment of the true God. So believing mentally don't mean much if there's nothing to follow it, okay? There's got to be spiritual works and fruit and obedience. And so he says, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. It's not an option or choice, or you can do it, or you should do it. The context is you better do it because you may not have God's seal on you anymore. He can remove the seal. There's to tell you all these false religions, once God seals you, it can't be unsealed. That was taken as an example Paul was using, the seal of the Romans on certain things. And they could seal you and make you a citizen. And they'll give you a right and written proof. But if you became a traitor, they broke the seal. And God told Israel, he said, I made a covenant with you and you keep disobeying it. He broke the covenant with them and went to the Gentiles. He didn't have no special. He said, you'll come the same way the Gentiles will. You're not going to be treated special anymore because you failed in your privileges to do what I told you to do. Mm -hmm. Real quickly, a vessel of honor and dishonor, okay? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, these wicked things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, saved, redeemed, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. If they're not sanctified, they're not saved. Sanctification is mentioned before salvation. In a split second, it means God, like in the old covenant, you were separated from the common, if you were going to be made a priest. You were separated from, and then you were consecrated to. And so God sanctified the sinner to save him. He sets him apart. That's the first work. Then as he confesses and repents, then he cleanses his conscience. But actually the separation, the conviction starts first. So the person that is not sanctified is not saved because they're used together many times. Redemption, adoption, regeneration, being saved, being born again. These are interchangeable words. And sanctification is one. So he's talking about Christendom and true Christianity. If you want to enter into the kingdom, and as we get near the closing, go to James again. James is the only one that comes out. People think James and Paul were in conflict. James is the only one that comes out and recognizes openly as the bishop of Jerusalem and Peter submitted to James at times. He wasn't a pope. He called him his brother. He calls him 
an apostle. He didn't have no conflict with, with him. They knew their callings and their position. And Paul tells us that James, the Lord appeared to him, which meant he became an apostle and gave him a commission. Isn't it funny how they complimented each other? They didn't have no divisions among them. So James 1, 21 says, Therefore lay aside all sin, filthiest of your garments and wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So we were saying you can practice lip service of every Christian doctrine there is, and it means nothing if you're not a doer of the word. And then James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. He calls them sinners. And like I say, you cannot purify your hearts and cleanse your hands while you're still in the sin. See, people are confessing and, and they're not repenting. You get no help from God until you stop it. It's called repentance. You can't say, well, I'm a part of the mafia and last year I killed 10 people. Well, I'm doing better now because I only killed one. It don't work that way. Uh -huh. So he's saying, you got to obey the Lord and submit to him. To be a vessel of honor, sanctified, redeemed, saved in Christ, and then useful for spiritual works. Lord, give us wisdom, understanding, and practical application in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.